Welcome to Dungeon Delving. I'm Brandon Wagner. I'm Adam McKeever. And today we're delving into Dragons, the name of the game. Well, and half the name. Half the name. The the part of the game that players don't experience as much as the other part of the name. Yeah, which is <laughs> kind of sad because dragons are dope. So dragons are a pretty meaty subject to dig into. There's a lot to them. There's a lot to discuss about their lore and their history, their place in the world. And then there's the individual types of dragons. There's lesser dragons. There's the conflict between Bahamut and Tiamat. There's dragons are a lot. So this is going to take a few episodes, I think. Yes, this is definitely part one of maybe three, four. I was planning four, but we'll see how time goes. So I'm thinking this episode we'll dig into putting dragons in your world, just in general. Yep. Um, we're not going to talk necessarily about specific types of dragons or lesser, whether they're metallic, chromatic, or lesser. Just, you want dragons in your world? Let's spitball some ideas of making them part of the world, not just there. Right. And then next week we'll do specifically different chromatic dragons, then specific metallic dragons, and then we'll end up on the lesser dragons, you know, wyverns, dragon turtles, uh, pseudo dragons, fairy dragons. Mm-hmm. Sounds good to All those other cool dragons. Also, I sound really nasally there for a second. That's okay. It's hot. So, <laughs> hot. Um, dragons, yeah. They're cool. They're, they're, I think, for the most part, especially if you're going with by the Monster Manual Dragons, if they're at least an adult or older, they ought to be characters. Yes. They ought to have personalities and opportunities for the players to roleplay interact with them, not necessarily just... You go to the dragon's lair, you roll initiative. Um, I would, def I would, I always in my games, I name ancient dragons. Um, you guys fought Mishan, the uh, roiling blizzard in my campaign, who was an ancient white dragon, and yeah. Um, well, didn't we kind of get out no, of it? No, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't fight her. You were able to talk your way out of fighting her. Because because we we were all just like. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, Monkus was ready to take her on, I think. <laughs> right, because he's, he's a brute. But, you know, for an intelligent, conniving, scheming, evil villainous character, he's kind of a brute. He just likes to throw down. He'll, he punches his problems until they're gone. Right. He's like Brick from Borderlands. Yeah, only instead of being, I punch the initiative, he punches you, and then he's just like, well... You should have thought about it. There's no match for this top secret punch you in the face till you die style of fighting. <laughs> but <laughs> and it's certainly top secret. Um, if you have whoops, good job. If you have Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, there's uh, name generators in the or not Mordenkainen. Sorry, this is Xanathar's Guide. Xanathar's Guide has name generators in the back of the book, and I always use the Dragonborn name generators for my dragons because hmm. they use well Dragonborn get draconic, so I assume that their names come from Draconic, and they have lots of weird, impressive-sounding names. <laughs> so yeah. you can be like, yeah, this this dragon is Hudumababa, and they H are... Hudumababa. <laughs> okay, yep, we, we need to remember that one. Yeah, that needs to be a dragon that we meet. Um, dragons, especially ancient dragons, they like their predators. Yes. So whether you're having a campaign world where dragons are more animalistic or they're more characterized and intelligent... They're predators. And if you know anything about predators in the real world, they have they don't like to overlap um, territory with similar sized predators. You know, a bear will have a six mile radius that it hunts in and gathers its food in. And if it crosses with another bear, they're going to have conflict over it. Unless they're exactly. mating. Exactly. You can do the same thing with dragons. 
And with dragons, they're going to be hoarding resources. Um, not just golden gems and weapons, but food. Yes. Um, uh, people, and, slaves. And that that's one big thing is the characteristic of dragons is having a horde. Right. I think when we go into specific types of dragons in the coming weeks, we'll start to talk more about what kinds of things. Like, oh, black dragons will have these specific things in their horde that other dragons might not necessarily have. Right. But just, just know that if you're going to have a dragon, they are a character... If they are a powerful dragon, they need to have a horde of something, a horde of slaves, a horde of which, like, eh, slaves, but uh, a, a horde of money, resources, something. Right. Going by the Dragon Age table in the Monster Manual on page 86, if you're curious, um, an ancient dragon is 801 years or older. That's a long time. That's a lot of time to learn, to gather, to make a place in the world. If you're going to put an ancient dragon in your game world, they shouldn't be just there, you know? Nope. <laughs> they've been around for a long time. They've fought adventurers before, probably. They've, if they're an evil, if they're a combative dragon, they'll have fought adventurers. If they're a less combative dragon, they'll have interacted with adventurers. So they're going to come to the party much more prepared for the party than the party is for the dragon, more than likely. Because it's something they've seen before. They've had adventures come for their horde before. It's nothing new to them. Yeah. And you, I absolutely think that you should reflect that in your uh, encounter with them. If your players are going to be going to a dragon lair to slay a dragon, that dragon should... Don't just be like, all right, a, a red dragon has a cave in the mountains and there's lava because it's a volcano. Do more than that. Take advantage of the regional effects that the dragons have. Take advantage of their layer actions. Oh, definitely. Um, take I mean, advantage you had a of, whole episode on layer actions. Right. Take advantage of the expanded traps in uh, Xanathar's Guide. Take advantage of the kinds of things that the servants of your dragon would do. Yep. Um, there's so. so many different aspects to a dragon being this established, powerful, magical being that's living in the world that should make it more than just a we go to its lair, we roll initiative and fight type of encounter. Exactly. And I think actually Phil with that one, that first dragon encounter we had, that was fantastic. The dragon was absolutely gargantuan. It was the size of a mountain. Yeah, he has that um, third party expanded dragons book that had yes. the like, titanic world-shaping dragons. Yes, and, like, we didn't just get to go up and start whacking at it and be like, oh, whoops, we're only level five. How are we going to fight this? No, we had to, like, train to fire these specific ballistas that were built to fight this dragon. Spoiler, they didn't do a good job of fighting right. the dragon. Right. They all died. It's uh, like um, but... it's like if you play Final Fantasy XIV, it's like the Steps of Faith trial, where there's a gigantic dragon approaching the city, and you're fighting its underlings. You're trying to keep cannons and ballistas working to slow it down. And an ancient dragon is already our gargantuan beast. And when I talked about you know huge, large, and gargantuan encounters... Dragons fit into that big time. I didn't touch too much on dragons because I wanted to save it for this. But right. An ancient dragon is huge. Like in the Hobbit movies when they fight Smog, 
Smog is like as big as the city he's burning. <laughs> oh. And his peen is enormous. <laughs> oh. 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 Oh old jokes. Back when back when Adam and I worked at Art Van Furniture together, somebody drew like a little tiny stick person with a big shape next to it and then the stick person was labeled Bilbo and then the big huge phallic shape was marked Smog's peen and it was two o'clock in the morning when we were doing a rearrange of the store and I just lost my shit thinking about Smog's peen. For like a month afterward I could just say that and laughing but anyway back on track and off of the dicks. Off of peens. That's how that's how big ancient dragons are. But <laughs> I was going to actually rail back to Final Fantasy fourteen. That is a really interesting implementation of dragons in the world with the with the dragon song war. Oh yeah. And how all dragons are rallied behind one of the ancients. So right. behind Bahamut behind Nidhogg behind Relsvager. Mm-hmm. Is that I, yeah? It was Nidhogg, Kreisvilger, and then Radatoskr was their sister. Oh um, uh, yeah. Final Fantasy fourteen very much themes its dragons off of Nordic mythology. Yes. Um, the father of those three ancient dragons is Midgard Stormer. Uh, Midgard Stormer, which you know, if you're familiar, is the World Serpent. And these dragons, these dragons are so ancient and so powerful that all dragons alive owe their loyalty to one of them you know you might meet like there's the one you fight in uh uh brave fox's long stop who mm-hmm. that dragon might be you know on its own it lives by itself it's way away from all the other dragons and even then you fight drakes and small dragons in that dungeon so it probably accrued some servants as well right and that's a great inspiration for your D games is these ancient dragons even adult dragons will have Smaller dragons, kobolds, humans that live around its lair that are working for it. Mm -hmm. And it turns... So a spoiler for my campaign, one of the islands that in the archipelago where you guys are has a red dragon living on it. And the characters living on that island are... That dragon is their lord. It's like, it's their king. They're not loyal to the emperor. They're not loyal to the spice barons. They're loyal to the dragon that lives on their island because a dragon is a strong, noble creature. Even the most basal, basics, dumb, dumb dragons are old and noble and fairly intelligent. Right. The least intelligent one is white dragons. And even then, they have an intelligence of 10, which is average. They're not stupid. (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're the least among the dragons. <laughs> but they're still pretty grand. You know, the least mm-hmm. among the dragons is still enough where, you know, a single adventurer couldn't take it down without a lot of really good gear. <laughs> yeah. And again, like, with that intelligence thing, just look to the dragons in magic. Like, the main core dragons. Niv-Mizzet, uh, Ugin, and Nicol Bolas. <laughs> and then they the, are the all... dragon leaders of Tarkir are a great inspiration for... Your dragons being, yeah, they're all dragons, but they are so diverse. Yes. And what your party might meet an ancient dragon, interact with them, think they have dragons figured out, then they go to the next ancient dragon's lair, and it's a completely different animal. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Um, I mean, technically we're all completely different animals, but... Fair. But (laughs) um, when you're talking, when you're thinking about... I had this idea for a campaign setting where you have a large continent 
with 10 nations on it, each nation ruled by an ancient dragon. Okay. So you have, you know, five chromatic dragon nations and five metallic dragon nations, and I kind of was approaching it in my head, the way I approach dragons in all of my games, really, is that they are never inherently good or evil. I tend to lean with dragons, you know, the chromatic dragons I would definitely personify as maybe being a little more selfish, maybe being a little more greedy, whereas with the metallic dragons would be a little more altruistic, a little more generous, generous, but not inherently good or evil, not inherently antagonistic or... I don't know what the word for a, a help to your hero is, but yep. they're not protagonists, but they're there to help your their allies. You know, the gold dragon you meet who rules over this nation that of humanoids that revere it as their king isn't necessarily going to help the party just because it's a gold dragon. Right. You know, it might want something from them, and that's a great way to have a quest giver that... Or even if you have a quest giver in the shadows, you know, you're getting quests from this mysterious entity that seems to know a lot more than you do. And then later on you find out, oh, it's a dragon. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Um, and that that's another really good thing with that Magic did with Rav- Ravnica mm-hmm. and Niv-Mizzet is that Niv is like the only dragon on the plane. There's a couple lesser dragons. There's, there's cards, lesser but... dragons, but Niv-Mizzet is the only like full dragon. He's the oldest and dragon he, on the plane easily. Yeah, he is ancient. What is it? Like two, three thousand years old or something like that? Right. But he is a common name. Everybody knows him and mm-hmm. it's possible in your lifetime you'd be able to talk to him and actually have a conversation with this just ancient it's unfathomably old being. And unfathomably wise. Right. Um... And I, I think being able to also take a little bit of the grandeur out of dragons sometimes so that they're something more common uh, is something that would also be good for a campaign. Oh, I, so, like, I like the idea. I was watching, I was listening to another DM talk about dragons, and they were talking about their game world. Dragons were, they were just animals. They were powerful animals with breath weapons and claws and teeth and big territories. They were predators, but they weren't these ancient, wise, intelligent things. They were just big, dangerous predators. And for that game world, he talked about making them smaller. His adult dragons were the size of elephants, which is, you know, humongous, but not a gargantuan creature. Um, Yeah, they're they're not going to take up an entire village if they land in it. (laughs) Right. I do like the idea, though, of dragons being unable to die of old age. That is just they, they if you if no one if no adventurer kills them, they will live forever. Yep, just go full on lobster. <laughs> right. And on that note, you could have them continue growing, which is how you end up with the mountain-sized dragon that we fought. You know, in, in Phil's campaign, the dragon opened its eye and it was the mountain's eye opened, and we're just like, okay, this thing is the size of a continent. And <laughs> we're gonna yeah. find it. Um yeah, we, we shot tree trunks at it and then got warped out when it almost killed us. I see very <laughs> often the idea of, why don't you have the, the dragon's insides be your dungeon? A dragon that's so big that you can be inside it for weeks on end as a dungeon. Like Jabu Jabu from Legend of Zelda. Yeah, that was actually almost what they did with the binding coil, only you're 
kind of outside. So in Final Fantasy XIV, one of the raids is the Binding Coil of Bahamut. Mm -hmm. And you're actually walking around the outside. At one point, you fight one of the bosses in Bahamut's hand. Yeah, he's, he's huge. He's just gigantic. He like, was, and, his and, prison was a moon because yes. that's how big he is. <laughs> and, and keep in mind, the boss that I'm talking about was Twintanya, another dragon. Yeah, another huge dragon. <laughs> or when you fight uh, the spirit of uh, Midgard Stormer at the top of uh, Keeper of the Lake. Yes. Where it's, his head is the whole, if you're facing one direction, the whole screen is his head. He's just titanic. The dragons, mm -hmm. the undead dragons he raises are as big as his nose. <laughs> as big as a nostril. Right, and he's huge. And having those titanic huge dragons, I think, makes for, when you want to have a combat encounter with a dragon that big, with anything that big, really, you got to do it how Phil did, which props to him, if you ever listen to this episode. That was such a cool fight where it, it wasn't it just, really was. it wasn't just the three of us rolled initiative and had turns with this dragon. We were fighting you were manning the ballista and casting spells while the rest of us were basically protecting you from the hordes of smaller dragons that were coming in. Exactly. And there, it wasn't just us. We had a couple soldiers with us, and then on the next hill over, there was the same thing happening. Yeah, we, we saw, like, what, two hills worth get wiped out in one blast? Right, and there were four or five or, I don't remember, ten hills with soldiers and ballistas on them. Right. Trying to pin this thing down because it was just so unfathomably huge. And that's a great way to make the encounter with something like a dragon. A dra an encounter with a dragon should always be memorable. You shouldn't be like, oh yeah, we fought a dragon today in D&D. NBD is just a monster. It's a creature that demands, even if you have it be just an animal, it demands to be this grand encounter. I mean, like, dragons are so important, not just to D&D, &D, but to our culture. Right. That there were times where, like, one of the Chinese emperors actually had a law where he was the only one that was allowed to have dragons depicted on his house or his clothing. Right. Dragons exist in every, in some form, in one, some form or another, in every mythology all over the planet which a lot of people think means they were real, but it just, it's, they're everywhere. No matter what kind of world you want to build, if you want to build a world that's based on the ancient Inca and that's your world, you can put dragons in it and they won't be out of place. No. Nope. You might want to reskin them a little bit, give them feathers, give them some of the attributes that the Inca had for their draconic beings and their mythologies. Right. But you can still have dragons. You can still take that base stat block from the monster manual and be like, here you go, here's dragons. Um, and what you want to have them do, really, you can have your dragons do just about anything. They can be lords of kingdoms, they can be monsters in the hills, they can be tyrants that have stolen treasure a la The Hobbit. Um, you can have a princess captured by a dragon. <laughs> That's such a played out trope, but I think that... Just name, name, name your dragon Bowser. <laughs> I think you could absolutely breathe some life into that trope. If you explore why, why the why the dragon has the princess, Dang not it, because he no. hates, not because he hates Mario and wants to marry her, but because I'm just thinking about how do you make a plumber in D and D now? <laughs> like, how do you make a plumber as a, a playable character? Well, they had very basic plumbing in ancient Rome, so yeah, true. Plumber is not a job that's new. It's not a new profession. <laughs> true. Uh, but homebrew yeah. background coming in plumber. <laughs> You get, a, you get a homebrew class plumber. You get a new action where you can jump on stuff to kill it. You get a jump attack like a dragoon. 
<laughs> oh man, which uh, that's actually something that really ought to be thought about and brought into D and D is Undergoon. a dragoon style class, whether it's just a modification to fighter or paladin or something like that. Well, I would I could see it as a fighter if you wanted to make a fighter subclass that is kind of like a ranger, but you have to pick dragon as your preferred enemy, and you can jump and use spears really well. Yeah, but. Or it could be its. I don't think it could be its own class. I don't think, unless you really wanted to be like, I'm going to take the dragoon from Final Fantasy and all of the different aspects of it over the course of that series and try to make a couple subclasses to go with it. Yeah, um, it always blows my mind when I see homebrew classes that only have one option for a subclass. It's like that's doesn't really fit with Fifth Edition anymore. But no, but you know, yeah, you can't demand that level of creativity off of everybody, but. Especially if it's free content, then you can be like, hey, this is great. <laughs> but back to dragons. Dragons. Um, one of the other concepts I would like to see more often with dragons mm-hmm. is them coming down as like a regular race. So instead of it being dragon born, like there are just like sometimes there's a 15 foot tall anthropomorphic dragon walking through town because they forgot to get groceries that week. Right. Have, dragons can have a place in your societies as citizens. You know, yes. maybe an adult dragon, an adult red dragon gets a job at a forge, keeping the forges alight. And people come from around the land to get stuff from this blacksmith because he's a dragon blacksmith and yes. his fires are hotter. He can make higher quality weapons with less impurities because his. Of his hot fire. Or with better materials, just right. in general. Like, Or you can look at one of the other fire-breathing dragons. Specializes in adamantine weapons. Um, gold and silver dragons, well, actually all the metallic dragons, have the ability to transform into humanoids and travel among them. And I think we'll touch on that more when we do metallic, or metallic or dragons. Metallic. Of them, <laughs> you know, appearing to the party as humanoids or animals and just kind of observing them or guiding them oh, no. or whatever. Chromatic dragon, or sorry, metallic dragons can be furries. <laughs> they can be furries. This is my persona. He's a furbolg. <laughs> <laughs> or he's a bugbear, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Bugbears win Hero Forge. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I God, that. I hope Phil doesn't listen to this. We just, dr- we just drag on him for his bugbear obsession all the time. But <laughs> We drag on him for that, but we also praise him for his DMing. So he's, like, a good, he's a good friend to have. 50-50. He's awesome. <laughs> a good friend is someone who does cool things, but then also does crazy weird things that you can drag on them for. Hello, I am an example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're a fucking furry. But... <laughs> um, having dragons existing in your world as people and normalizing them is a great way to impress on your players that this is a very high fantasy world. This is a world where they're going to, where anything they encounter isn't necessarily going to be a monster. You know, it's, oh, this owl bear is intelligent. We can talk to it. This, right. anything can be that. And dragons are a great segue into that because dragons are iconic. They're familiar. They're something that the players will see and immediately want to interact with. Mm-hmm. Whether they are just a blacksmith or a tyrant living in a tower where they... Oh, yeah, I want to interact with any dragon I see. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, you, when you talk about dragon hordes, one thing I wanted to touch on is hoarding things that aren't treasure, like people. Um, Even if it's not in, like, a 
you're enslaved kind of way. Right. Because you can hoard people as just like, I have this giant band of friends, or I have this town. This is my horde of people. I like the idea of, like, the king hires the party to go rescue his daughter from the dragon's lair. When they get there, they find out that this dragon is just obsessed with, like, physical beauty. This dragon, like, you go into the dragon's lair, and it's like walking into, like, uh, a like gallery. A, yeah, like a gallery, or like a scene from, like, um... Like a scene from a, an old Greek play where you walk in and everyone is beautiful and there's artists and musicians. Oh my god, I'm just and... thinking a dragon that's obsessed with theater. Right, yeah. And they, they have they have a horde of theater troops that they yeah. have kidnapped. And then the princess is like, yeah, I didn't really want to ever get married and get you know married off to secure an alliance for my father. And this dragon showed up and was like, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I love beauty. Come live with me. I will take care of you. I will keep you fed and protected. And all you have to do is be there and be beautiful. So that when my dragon friends come over, I can be like, I can be like, ah, oh, look at, <laughs> I look at my newest thing I collected. <laughs> 500 points given. <laughs> mm. Um, and that can really, then, then your players are marked with that conundrum of do we murder hobo this dragon or <laughs> or what? And then what if they do? They kill the dragon, their resources are all spent from using their spell slots and abilities to slay this dragon, and now there's a horde of angry, beautiful people that were like, yeah, that was our patron, not our captor. What are you doing, you yeah. bastards? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, there's just so much cool stuff you can do with dragons. And there's There's... there's millions of tropes surrounding dragons and a lot of them are really cliched but all of them have the potential to if you want to take the time to explore them with your players to turn into something interesting and memorable that you can look back on and be like yeah this dragon encounter was awesome because it wasn't just we go to the dragon's lair we fight it we deal with it for a while I, I, I'm still locked on this idea of Wow, that dragon encounter was awesome. He was a theater kid. He sang Hamilton to us. <laughs> like, like, you show up to this dragon's lair because the dragon has some artifact in its hoard. And it's like, okay, I will give it to you, but you got to give me something in return. And your bard performs this sonnet. And the dragon goes, that was amazing. You can have this piece of treasure. Or the dragon's like, all right. I want you guys to put on a production of <laughs> of Romeo and Juliet for me. And the party's just like, um, okay. And then you have to fight over who gets to be Mercutio. But, <laughs> like... Me. <laughs> it's just, you can, ha you can take so much from dragons without them just being the big lizard that sleeps on a pile of gold. And that's fine. Like, if you want to have your dragon be a big, greedy asshole lizard that sleeps on a pile of gold, you can do that yeah, and I it mean, will just, be good. Just look at the webcomic Slackworm. That is a perfect example of a greedy, lazy dragon. <laughs> I love that I've comic. seen a couple issues. I saw the one where he captures the wizard in the night to play D&D. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but your dragons, they deserve to be, even if you want them to be animals, they deserve to have impact. They deserve to have more to them than just rolling initiative. Yeah, and one thing that I really took away from when I was reading over dragons in the in the PHB and all that, or the Monster Manual, mm -hmm. uh, was 
but they are inherently magical. Yes. Like, they are imbued with magic. So tie that back to them in some way mm. in your game. Because th- their breath weapon comes from the fact that they are just magic. Right. They are... I mean, like they are their own class of monster in D&D for a reason. Because mm. there's nothing quite like a dragon. Right. Um, I listened to uh, WebDM plays. They had a post-apocalyptic world game called Land Between Two Rivers. And in it, their dragon was called Fear. It was a black dragon that lived out in the marsh and when people were going to be traveling in that direction, they would say, hey, don't let fear take you. And the out the people that weren't from that area were like, oh, that's a, that's a cool little, like, safe travels farewell. But no, they literally mean don't let fear swoop down and take you away to eat you. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's a really cool way to introduce it's, a dragon. It's literal and metaphorical. Especially and if like, your ah. players haven't seen a dragon yet in your game world and haven't had mention of them yet. Maybe you live in a place where there hasn't been dragons ever and then one moved in and the people there are like, what the hell is this thing that shoots acid out of its mouth? You <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> like, it's dangerous and it's scary and dragons should be that. And if you want to have them be magical... If they're animalistic, they're not intelligent characters, maybe it's the wizard is trying to cast a powerful spell and they need the horn of a dragon. And you're like, okay, that's because dragons are inherently magical. You know, you have manticore spikes are a spell component because manticores are inherently magical. And that's a good way to tie in magic to your natural world is there are creatures in the world that have that magic in them, like dragons, Right. And interacting with them, killing them. Or what is it? In the old D&D movie, when they kill the dragon, nature starts to go ballistic. The the river catches on fire. You know, rocks rain from the sky. Because in that world, that D&D movie is campy and terrible, but hilarious and great at the same time. But in that world, dragons are so tied into the natural flow of magic through nature that killing one disrupts it. And that's something that you can have happen with your players your players go and they finally slay the dragon because it's been raining terror on the world but because they kill it worse things happen uh-huh. <laughs> they it killed just... the dragon and now there's endless natural disasters and the kingdom is more effed yeah and I mean, <laughs> it, it even could just be like a temporary thing where it's just because that dragon was such a heavy influence on the magic in the area with it gone everything's going wild yeah, there's it's a just, void to it's, fill just, it's just a royal it's like um, it, it's like when the Eldrazi showed up on Zendikar, right. it just or screwed with the. Aether. It's like when you suddenly release or take the air out of a room, like you like when you vacuum mm-hmm. suction out, and everything just goes crazy for a few seconds. But because it's magic, you can have it be decades or something yes. like that, where everything is just effed up. Mountains start floating away. You know, mutant animals show up because the dragon's magic was anchoring something. Mm-hmm. Um. Speaking of magic, I think we should touch on celestial, big picture, otherworldly D anD D with like, Tiamat and Bahamut. And I mean, to a lesser, lesser, lesser extent, uh, the entire draconic pantheon of gods, because there is a separate pantheon of draconic gods. Oh, that's not something I'm familiar with. So yeah, it's not so much in Five E that they brought it up, mm-hmm. but in the extended Dungeons and Dragons, there is actually a separate pantheon of draconic gods. Well, that's interesting. If you yeah. have the access to that resource, that's something you could build in with your dragonborn cleric or your dragon character. Why not give your ancient dragon class levels? 
Yes. <laughs> like, this is my ancient dragon. He has all the powers of an ancient dragon and the powers of a 10th level cleric. <laughs> you know? Like... Yeah, so there's just a few of them. So, like, Asagorath, Estibalor, Bahamut was one. Garrix, which I'm assuming is an homage to Gary Gygax. Probably. Uh, Lol, Kareska, Kutha, Linus, Null, or Lendis, <laughs> L- Null. Linus, <laughs> Lendis. Uh, Stariodor, Tamara, Task. Like, all of these are, like, they fall into a lot of the same spots as like the normal gods mm. like uh like task is the god of greed but they are still a dragon mm. they're just draconic version of a god yes and mm. but the, the the two big ones are bahamut and tiamat yeah bahamut hasn't i don't think bahamut has had much representation in 5e yet no uh tiamat has because there's a whole dragon cult couple of adventure modules that involve yes. her that maybe we'll play someday. I've heard they're very long. I've heard that the the Rise of Tiamat is like a couple months long campaign to play through. But um, having Bahamut and Tiamat in your world really anchors having good and evil dragons. And, but you don't have to have all of your dragons be aligned one way or the other. You can have chromatic dragons that rejected Tiamat and went to help Bahamut. You can have metallic dragons that did the opposite. You can have dragons that of both groups that haven't aligned to their specific draconic deity because they think the whole conflict is stupid. You could be like <laughs> on Eberron where all the dragons are neutral. Right. You can dig into the ancient history that they touch on in 5th edition where dragons and giants used to be at war. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, rocks and behirs exist because the giants bred them to fight dragons. Um dragons having that history with giants you can have you know you can tie into uh there's supposed to be an ancient giant city somewhere in the world where there's crazy magic and stuff and maybe there's dragons guarding it because they took it over Mm -hmm. something like that um tiamat has a specific is that a cicada yeah it's a cicada i saw on facebook that they're out now oh geez because 2020 didn't need more obnoxious stuff um (laughs) right but uh they're called Abishai, and they're in Morton Canyon's Tome of Foes, but I noticed that a lot of the stuff in this book are from adventure modules, so I'm assuming that they're in the Rise of Tiamat adventure module. Um, But Abishai are, they look like draconic humanoids with wings and dragon heads and dreadlocks for some reason, but they uh... How do we spell that? Abishai. They um are created when a humanoid who is utterly devoted to Tiamat dies. Because Tiamat is, she lives in one of the nine hells. She's a devil, essentially. And when the humanoids that are uh, tied to her die, she turns them into these Abishai servants. And then their role within her cult depends on what color they are. You know, the white ones are, uh, the black Abishai are assassins. The blue Abishai are uh like lore keepers so interesting thing they're not in tiamat they're not no they're in descent into avernus oh well that's where she lives isn't it yeah it might might be that might be I, i'm just so but used they to... are from an adventure module yes i'm just so used to descent into avernus being like a prequel to Baldur's gate 3 yeah um what else do we have here the green ones are envoys the red ones are leaders and then the white ones are like they're berserkers 
Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of if you want to have a world where the conflict between good and evil dragons is a big deal, have strictly metallic dragonborn be citizens of your world and then just have Abishai be your chromatic dragonborn fill-in. So you have good dragonborn and then the evil dragonborn Clever, are, are like the Abishai. It. They're already humanoids. They're tough and strong, and so are dragonborn. You know, even a dragonborn citizen is right. not a pushover. They're no slouch, but you can have them exist in your world like that. They they are beings that live there. They don't have to necessarily be contained to the nine hells and dragon cults. But I just thought right. they, I thought it was interesting when I read about those. I was like, huh? So Tiamat with her devil powers can you know make these. They're not even considered draconic, though. They're considered infernals because they're devils. Hmm. But um, Tiamat's influence is pretty big in 5e, too, because the uh, the Gith, the Gith Yankee have a deal with her, and that's why their knights ride red dragons. Yeah. Because when they were, after they escaped the Beholders and they started going to war with the Gith Zerai, they were like, we need an edge. We need something to help us beat our enemies. So they... Being that they live on the astral plane, they traveled to the Nine Hells, found Tiamat, and made a deal with her, and now they enslave red dragons, basically. Huh. <laughs> that is cool. I did not know that. Yeah. And uh, I think the um, the Durgar, well, their their ancient leader made a deal with Tiamat, too. She's a devil. She has, you know, fingers somewhere in all these different pots, because I that's mean, what devils do. And that's also what dragons do. They get, right, yeah. They, right. You can they, absolutely have they, dragons be doing that. They get their snouts and everything. You know, maybe you have a, a an ancient dragon who is kind of puppet-mastering the conflict between two nations. Mm-hmm. You know, you have two different nations that both revere this dragon, and the dragon, and they don't know it about the other nation. They, the dragon's like, well, I want stuff, so I'm going to to stir the conflict between these two nations and this would be a good one for a villainous metallic dragon because they can turn into a they could be the they could probably they morph could be... into the advisor for both kings <laughs> uh, and just yes. be messing with them and you know as a result it's like oh my lord we need funds to bolster our armies and they just kind of squirrel the funds away into their dra- into their big dragon horde <laughs> And, and that's then, they where go, you... then they go to the other king. And, my sources tell me they spent a bunch of money bolstering their navy. We may need funds to bolster ours. And then they squirrel away the funds into their hoard. <laughs> and that's when you start looking into Acquisitions Incorporated because now you got to look at the freaking fraud. <laughs> yeah, fraud. That's the theme of your campaign is dragons and fraud. <laughs> <laughs> and this dragon's been embezzling from these two nations. Now you have to figure out what's wrong and balance their books. It's no longer d d It's... D&D and white-collar crime. <laughs> um, as we go into the next few weeks, we start talking about specific dragons. We'll talk about more examples of this dragon has these kinds of personality traits, so here's how you could play the twist on that using this kind of dragon. Or maybe this is the kind of intrigue you want this specific type of dragon to be involved in because of their nature and their tendencies and where they live. I like putting... Personally, I just kind of put dragons in my world. I do it. I said not to do it, but I do. But I always do it in a way that if you guys find them, you there's, start... You, there's something interesting Right. About you them. start finding them before you know they're there. You know, even like with Mishan, the, the ancient white dragon. She but, had no bearing on the story. But huge blizzard just totally wrecked an entire ocean. Right. She was there to show, to have the impact of... 
she has an impact on this world. This is a world where magic is real and dragons are there and it's powerful. And there are powerful forces that are not concerned with your adventure. And having dragons, if you do just put dragons into your world, have them be powerful forces that have tangible effects on the world around them that are unconcerned with your plot line or mm -hmm. with your adventure. They can be part of that tapestry to make your world rich and deep. And if you're playing a kind of game where you don't have as much of a structured plot line, it's more of, I made this sandbox world and filled it with adventures and quests. Go have fun. That's what I want to do with my next homebrew campaign. Is right. No matter which way you guys travel, it's the right way because there's something to do. That's a great place to just kind of put dragons in the world and be like, they have an impact here. Yep. Just you know? <laughs> I fit so many dragons in this thing. <laughs> Um, keeping dragons rare, I think, makes, is, I like it. I like the idea of dragons being common in your high fantasy world, but I also like the idea of ancient dragons, at least, being very rare. Most dragons don't live yes. to 800 years old, because by the time they're 500, they've accrued enough wealth that adventurers start getting greedy and wanting to track them down. Which also means that your ancient dragons should know what to do when adventurers come knocking. And... Mm -hmm. I like the idea of an ancient dragon or even an older adult dragon not landing on the ground and fighting the party to the death. This is, the dragon's going to do a flyby, use its breath weapon, and then you're not going to see it again until the next day. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it drops down and, whoosh, and then it leaves. And you're like, okay, we all took 12d6 fire damage. Now what? <laughs> and yeah. when you're looking for a dragon's lair, that can be how you kind of guide your players towards it is it's not just roll survival to see if you're going the right way. It's, okay, the dragon attack, which way did it go? Where did it come from? Where did it go? Why is the dragon named Cotton Eye Joe? And <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> um, how are we going to deal with the other threats of this region now that we all just took 12d6 fire damage? And, I mean, <laughs> if it weren't for that dragon, I'd have been married a long time ago, but it killed my wife. <laughs> a damn dragon with its... Critical hit fire breath weapon, but okay, we need to do a silly campaign where there is actually a dragon called Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> he, this dragon, the last group of adventurers to fight it, stabbed it in the eyes, <laughs> and that's why it's Cotton Eye Joe because he has cotton eye patches. <laughs> but his breath weapon is still dangerous. Don't 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 think he's not dangerous because he's blind. He's just a pirate dragon. <laughs> Which we'll talk about pirate dragons when we talk about bronze dragons because they live on coastlines. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> having your dragons have that impact, whether they're animals or intelligent characters, is what they're owed. I think honestly, they're in the name of the game for a reason. It's not dungeons and beholders. It's not dungeons and bandits. It's dungeons and dragons. Not that beholders and bandits shouldn't be able to have impact on your world and importance, but they aren't the, they aren't the freaking logo. <laughs> they aren't the logo. And I think Dungeons and Beholders wouldn't make as good of a logo anyways. No. Because a dragon coiling into an, ant, I'll, I'll, into also, an sand looks Also, a just alliteration makes everything better. Right. But dragons are awesome. I'm really excited to dig into them a little more over the coming weeks and talk about them and hopefully 
not spend an hour on just chromatic dragons and break that into two episodes. But if, yeah, if need be, we will. Well, we're already at the 45-ish mark. Yeah, that's kind of become our new mark to go to, I think, is between I mean, 40 and 45. I mean, heck, I've listened to podcasts that are like three hours long, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have three hours to sit and record, though. That If we were going to do three-hour-long episodes, it'd have to be multiple sessions. Yeah. And I'm way too ADHD to remember where we were, so... <laughs> We'll, we'll call Indeed. it good, I think, for dragons for today, but... Come back for part two. <laughs> yeah, and I think dragons are something, even after we finish specifically talking about dragons, we'll come back to them. We'll oh, they'll, about they'll come up all the time. We'll talk about different world-building aspects, different dungeon-building aspects, different um, non-humanoid characters that your party will interact with dragons have the character building involving dragons right characters have dragons have places to come up everywhere in really any fantasy role-playing game but dungeons and dragons especially yes they have a kind of a great place and i think it's sad that so many campaigns never have dragons involved because you know if you read the statistics most campaigns don't make it past what 10th level they end at 10th or 11th level, and it's like, all right, at 10th level, maybe you can start fighting some, some wormlings, but yeah, uh, not you're not going to be fighting adult dragons that you're going to have interesting conversations and encounters with. Right. But dragons are cool. Using them at low levels is fine. Phil had us fighting that mountain dragon at 5th level because he took the encounter as more than roll initiative, throw stat blocks at each other. Yes. And if you're going to take that creative encounter building into effect... Dragons can be utilized on a much broader spectrum than an endgame boss. Yes, 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 I agree. But we've rambled enough, I think, for the end of the episode. Yes, we have. So for the third time of our Midwest goodbye, where we stand in the door for 20 minutes and chat, (laughs) goodbye. we'll see you guys next week. Keep on delving. See ya.